Whoa, technology. Oh, God, I felt good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lemons. Totes, malotes, dog. Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey, everybody, this is the Safety Doc, Dr. David Perodin from down here in the North Star Recording Studio. And guess what, folks? Winter might be behind us. It is actually, believe it or not, uh, 62 degrees down here, so quite a bit warmer than usual. And it's actually pretty warm outside today. Um, so yeah, we might have turned the corner as far as the weather, but we're not turning the corner as far as the craziness going on with the coronavirus. So uh, one of the most popular shows for the Safety Doc podcast was when we had our good friend Nick Shulaner on to talk about marketing and school safety and perspectives of somebody who had graduated high school not too long ago, giving us that, that inside view. But today we're bringing back Nick because Nick is a university student, engineering, marketing, but was attending a campus that had a rapid closure of in-person um, classes, uh, other activities, you know, people getting out of dorms and all of that because coronavirus, right? A lot of stuff was shut down. So we're going to get the take from Nick. What was that like? And then how he obtained face validity, what's going on around him as all these emails are coming out of here's, you know, what we're seeing, here's what we're hearing on the media. And then some really spot on advice for people, things that you can do now to better prepare for, let's say you return in fall to the university and there's another wave of coronavirus or another pandemic and things get shut down. He's going to give you some tips, things I didn't think about that actually um, I'm, I'm heeding that advice. I'm, I'm taking that. You're going to want that. But welcome to the show, Nick Shulaner. All right. Thanks, Doc. And it's good to be back. So, Nick, let's just start out. Um, how are you right now? How are things going for you? So far, things are actually going pretty good. I'm still in my college town. Like my campus is, you know, just about a mile or so that way. But uh yeah, things are going pretty good because I'm in eastern Washington state. So far, I mean, back when they first announced this school was cut, was shutting down, there was a bit of like panic and everybody was, a lot of people were trying to leave at once. But since those guys have gone back to wherever they normally live, things have mostly quieted down. Of course, because of the governor's restrictions, most of the restaurants and whatnot are still closed. Oh, Right. So let's take it kind of from the top. When when was the moment when you learned, hey, the campus is basically shutting down for in-person? I know they, they've transitioned to virtual learning, but but tell me about the moment and then I guess how you went process through it, friends of yours, um, as you talk to other people, family, things like that. Um, you know, work us through how you how you dealt with chaos, how you negotiated with chaos. All right. So I kind of figured this was coming because I go to Washington State University. And so the that's one of the big universities in Washington. The other one 
uh, the University of Washington on the other side of the state, they announced that they were closing down, um, mostly because of a lot of the stuff that the governor was doing to try to, you know, stop the virus from spreading. So I already... I already saw this coming because, as you've said, what a lot of schools do is they'll look at what other schools right. are doing and <laughs> right. do that. So once I heard that UW was shutting down, I figured Wazoo wasn't that far behind. And um, they made the official announcement. Well, I guess now it would be like two weeks ago, but it was the Wednesday before we were all supposed to go on spring break. Um, okay. So at the time that was it, they just said, hey, we're – we're closing down campus for in-person. All our classes are going to be online after spring break. You know, just like plan your, pretty much plan accordingly. Um, they gave us more information later over the course of the next few weeks. But at then, um, yeah, that was all we had to go off for the first day or so. But it wasn't particularly surprising. Okay, yeah. Okay, so you'd seen it kind of unfolding in other areas. Um, you know, anybody kind of this this mass exit you know people trying to grab everything every box that they can get uh any any panic even some professors maybe saying we're not sure how we're going to do this stay tuned um, um I, I got a lot of emails from my professors that all pretty much said the same thing which makes me wonder if they were just you know copy and pasting a sure, template. Sure. They basically said, as you've heard, our in-person classes are going to be shut down. So I'm going to spend spring break figuring out how to move the class to online. Most of them went with Zoom, which is what we're using now. But yeah, it's like, yeah, it's going to take us a, a little while to just figure this out. And even as even as late as like the Friday before spring break ended, we I still got emails from a few professors saying, yeah, I'm still not quite sure. I still haven't quite figured this all right. out. Stay tuned. <laughs> That pretty much happened until like the first day classes started back up again and they were online. Were any of your classes um, online before this, this semester, or were they all face-to-face? Um, this particular semester, they were all face-to-face, but okay. a lot of them had the online, had an online component, like turning in assignments yeah. online. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what I found uh, too. So uh when courses are offered now, usually there's there's an online component, even if it's a face-to-face course. But yeah, for somebody, for a professor to switch midstream, that's that's a pretty big thing, especially if you're te- teaching five or six classes and how's this going to work. Um, tell me, did who are the people you interacted with who you kind of sensed were maybe the most anxious or the most panicked? I mean, were the, was it you know some friends? Was it family wondering if you're going to be okay? Hey, was it you know professors um, just anyone else i mean who are the people you th- you know because you're very perceptive situational awareness and you're thinking yeah they're having a really hard time processing what's happening and it wasn't only this right nick it was at that time you know the nba shutting down the ncaa i mean disney shutting down all these things are kind of happening around people um so what was what was your observation of, um, you know, people who handled, I guess, this, you know, well thought through it, inventory their options, and maybe some people you encountered who it really was almost something they weren't ready to even process, deal with. Um, well, most of my fellow students, just from what I observed, we seemed just a little bit anxious, just in the sense that we were just packing up stuff we can to go back to what, for most students, is the west side of Washington, because that's where most 
students at Wazoo were originally from. But the ones, the two types of people that I realized were really anxious are one, older professors, because yes. they got to figure out how to do, how to use Zoom and how to store the lectures and whatnot. But also, um, people in charge of labs, like the university's lab director and my TA for my physics lab, because oh, you right. know. For the most part, a lot of classes could be done online anyway. We just haven't done it until now. Great point. But, Great point, Nick. But uh, labs, labs are one of the things that actually really do need to be done in person for the most part. And so at least with the other professors, they just had to figure out, you know, how to record and store the lectures so people can watch them later. But for something like the lab that depends on you actually being there, they basically had to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's what I've heard um, also is anything that's, that's lab based, um, you know, whether now they're, cause right. I mean, it's not like here, Nick, we're going to ship you a Bunsen burner, you know, and an arc welder at home and some other stuff. So like, you know, here's how to follow it, but um, you know, they're having to set up and record step-by-step, step, you know, different experiments, different things. And even with that, how authentic, I mean, but you're right. People are innovating. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, how about, you know, when you went to stores, um, things like that, did you see shelves cleared out? Did you see lines, Any anything of that nature where um, people were trying to get as, as much as they could? Um, surprisingly, things are actually pretty tame up here. Um, well, so, I, so Pullman has three main grocery stores. There's a Walmart, there's a Safeway. And then Dismore's. Dismore's is like a really local one. That's where I do most of my shopping. Um, pretty much all of them ran out of toilet paper right. within a few days. Um, other than that, they're mostly fully stocked, especially Dismore's. Like I went there on cause today's uh, Thursday. I went there on Sunday. You know they were they weren't out of a bunch of stuff, but they were. You know their supplies were running thin. But what I realized later, because I just went back on Tuesday, it wasn't because of the whole pandemic. It was just because Sunday is the last day before they get their truck. Gotcha. So when I went there on Tuesday, everything was fine. But yeah, with the exception of toilet paper, you know, we aren't really out of anything. I've been able to get everything I need, like, like you know, food and whatnot. I can't say the same for uh, people on the west side of Washington. Because my because my mom still lives on the western side of Washington, and she told me the local grocery stores there, where she does all her shopping, a lot of their stuff, a lot of their shelves were empty for a little while until they restocked. And even then, she notices that they're running, like they can restock, but they're running out quicker than they usually do. Yeah. So so let's let's build off of that. Um, so what you're talking about is face validity. Um, so face validity is this this concept of you know you get out in your environment observe what's going on at the grocery store um you know how many how much traffic there is uh people at the parks i mean all of these things just, just you, you take inventory like you're observing um i get out i'm, I'm doing the same thing doing it on a, on a regular basis i was out yesterday took a little video with the, with the camcorder trying to do some kind of you know every four or five days to see what's what's changed and then, you know, I have, I have friends all across the country, New York, Houston, um, California. And so they're doing the same thing. We can kind of keep track of, of what's changed and 
what hasn't changed or what's what's improved. But one of the things um, too is, is some areas at grocery stores, even if they do get restocked, things are out like right away. And I thought there'd be a saturation point with that at some point. Like, you know, you can only buy in stock so many cans of soup and <laughs> whatever before you're like, okay, this is enough. And then, but it doesn't seem like we're, we're there yet. And then, um, so, so tell me about face validity. So you said you're talking with your mom. Who else have you talked to for face validity? And then maybe what did you do for your own face validity, you know, right after this, this happened with the university, you know, closing, getting out, seeing what's happening. I know you just shared, uh, you, you did this recently. I think in the last day or two, you went out and you did face validity. And, and for people listening, um, to, to understand face validity, if you're only tuning into the news, if you are only listening to people who get their main source from the news, um, it, it usually is significantly different than actually what's happening around you. I'm not trying to minimize to say that things aren't as, as intense as what the news is portraying, but the news is very um, specific to a region and it's a short amount of time. Um, you know, that they have to get stories in and stuff like that. So I think it's much better to do this, this face validity. So um, tell me about your face, face validity process, what you learned, what you'd recommend to other people on uh, conducting face validity. Well, when I learned what face validity was, I realized how simple it actually was. Like, you know, our friend Aaron Clary, what he mentioned is that he goes and checks the grocery stores like every day. I pretty much do that, but instead of every day, it's every other day, something like that. But right. it's really as simple as just, you know, walking around your neighborhood or campus or, you know, just local area, see see what's going on. Yeah. There's just, like there's this one business that is not too far that way from where my apartment is, and you know, I think they mentioned that most people would be working from home, but funny enough, if you walk by, you still see a decent amount of cars in the parking lot. So okay. with the exception of like the schools and the schools and the restaurants being shut down, very little has actually changed. I mean, obviously the campus is pretty much deserted except for a few restaurants that offer takeout, but right. yeah, that's what I basically do. And I have some friends in different parts of the world. I have some friends that are on the West, Western Washington. I have a lot of friends in New York, my digital marketing friends. I mostly just ask them, like, what's going on? Like, I have one friend that's in New Rochelle, which is where yeah. they were, like, actually quarantined and whatnot. So it's really, so guys, it's really just as simple as asking, asking other people what's going on in their neck of the woods. So I want to, I want to come back to that from a marketing perspective in, in just a second, but let's just pause right now. So um, tell people about the work that you do, how they can learn about um, your, how you can benefit them with marketing uh, more about your, your content. So let's, let's take a break so you can share that with people. All right. So as doc said, I am a digital marketer and my line of work is I'm basically a digital marketer for hire. I do freelance work. Companies hire me to, manage I specialize in paid ads so companies hire me to just manage their paid ads this is things like Google ads Facebook ads I've done a little bit of Amazon but I, not as much as Google and Facebook I occasionally do some other areas of digital marketing but my main focus is paid ads okay uh, and you 
if you want to learn more about that, you can find my stuff at nickshulander.com. That's Nick spelled the usual way, and then my last name is S-C-H-U-L-A-N-E-R. Awesome. And, and I'll put that out also in, in the show notes. Um, yeah. so, so, Nick, let's come back to this. Um, one of the things we're seeing is companies shutting down. As you said, you know, the restaurants that are still open are doing takeout and, and things like that. Um, so it seems like the the knee-jerk reaction, if I have a business, right, is um, I'm, I need to cut back on as many expenses as I can. Like I've got to cut back on advertising and other, you know, whatever, because I don't have as much income. You know, people aren't, aren't coming to the store. We've had the mandatory closures. But from a marketing perspective, so I thought about this for quite a while, and I think I, I'd run this by you. So it kind of, it, that's counterintuitive. That might not make much sense because you want people to still remember you to keep your name your business relevant and when this does um end i mean when we do have a lifting of restrictions and things like that people need to be able to quickly um you know ramp up their their businesses and get, make their clients aware so how do you how do you recommend right now for people let's you know any any business um how they how they approach advertising. Let's just say it's a smaller business. Um, you know, maybe you know one to five employees, or, or you know, most businesses are kind of smaller businesses. Uh, what are some ways that they can do advertising that is going to um, not break their budget, and you know, make sure that they stay relevant at a time when maybe their business is de- determined to be non-essential and it's been shut down. Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. Well, the thing you got to understand, Doc, is a lot of this depends on the specific business. Like a perfect example, uh, one of my clients is basically a high-end barbershop in the L.A. area. Uh, I've been helping them with their Google ads. And, you know, once I heard that California was doing all these restrictions, I reached out to basically the owner. I was like, hey, would you like me to shut down the ads? Because I saw barbershops were one of those things that were required to be shut down. And she's like, yeah, we're going to have to shut down the ads. So in a situation like that, if you have like a brick and mortar business that has an actual store and actually depends on a physical location, there really isn't that much you can do because it doesn't matter how good the marketing is. I can't get results for that barbershop right. if that barbershop isn't legally allowed. To right. <laughs> right. You don't want to do some great ad. And then they're yeah. like, okay, this is where we're going. And you go there and it's closed. Right. So, yeah. so, so you're right. So how do you, Funny so, story. I've, uh, I've heard yeah. of a few barbershops are actually technically still open. Like they put on, 
they put like you know cloth or you know blinds on the windows so it looks like <laughs> they're closed but really secretly they just reach out they just send it to the email list hey like keep this on the download but we're still open if you need a yeah. haircut but even That's... then this it doesn't change the problem because right, if i right. did run a google ad for that barber shop right now it would immediately give away the fact that they're still open oh man that that yeah i mean and the, that underground kind of economy is is going to happen. Um, it's kind of funny because I, I got to get a haircut before long here. But um, so so okay. So Nick, they say um, we need to we need to shut this down. We can't advertise because people can't come into the business. Um, so what advice do you give them, and also to make sure that you retain them as a as a client? Um, because again, maybe you know six weeks, eight weeks from now, the restrictions are lifted they're going to want their customers back in. So um, I guess uh, people, what's your, what's your advice to, you know, to them, to other people of how to um, stay relevant and to make sure people don't forget about their, their services um, that they don't maybe find competitors that they, (laughs) it's kind of like, you know, like we're all going to be great at cutting our own hair here in about a month. Right. (laughs) All of our, our family members, or if we have a mirror, I mean, it's, it's, we're, we're just, it's a skill we're probably going to acquire, but, um, but yeah. So, so how do you answer that question? They come to you and say, um, we just don't want to be forgotten. We, we want to make sure, um, what are ways, can they send out little messages, you know, just that aren't advertising, but just, you know, some, some update or reminder or, or, I mean, what do you, what do you think? Um, well, keep in mind all of this is for local businesses for like online businesses. I'll get to those in a second. But for local businesses, especially the ones like you know the barbershop that is legally required to close, mostly maybe just send – don't overdo it. Just send one message like, hey, we have to shut down. Um, you know, we can't wait to see you guys when it opens again. But what the, what the people working for these businesses doing their marketing can do is they can level up their skills. Like I'm taking this SEO course right now which is, I know a little bit about it, but it's not the field of marketing I specialize in. And so when the restrictions get lifted, I'll be able to help them with the SEO, even though I've mostly been focusing on their paid ads. So that is something marketers could do. But what the owners, but basically if you're the owner of a brick and mortar business, like a barber shop that is legally required to shut down, there is not much else you can do. Um, Same deal with a lot of the physical businesses or things that are generally gonna slow because i have a client in your neck of the woods as well okay they're the business i'm helping them with is kind of like a side hustle type of thing and you know they both have day jobs one of them they are pretty sure was gonna laid off because he works in construction so i'm like yeah that's gonna even though like if you're a wedding photographer you could technically still book weddings because you know a lot of times you book it like a year or so in advance sure but even then it's like and funny enough, I'll tie this back to something you mentioned in School of Errors. Use your discretion and common sense, like in the vast majority of cases. And that's all for now. That is all for, you know, physical businesses like brick and mortar businesses. For online businesses, it's a little bit different because a lot of the online businesses, a lot of them aren't legally required to close. And sometimes you might actually benefit from doubling down on your marketing right now. Like a perfect example, I have this one client that basically sells electronic software that you can use for your guitars and, electric okay. and keyboards and whatnot. 
and most of their stuff costs like you know 20 to sometimes 50 bucks but it's stuff people can do even when they're required to stay at home yeah in fact right now the campaigns i'm running for them are doing really well because and i even mentioned this when i met with them a little while ago it's like yeah people are bored in quarantine so they're just searching for stuff to do and if you if you play guitar or keyboard like i do you can just say okay maybe i'll just get some new sounds so like we set a new record actually for the month of march for like just the raw sales that we did oh that's amazing people are yeah so bored so really you're gonna want to think like is this something people can buy you know, if they're bored or something people can still benefit from, even if they're forced to stay at home. Obviously, a barbershop doesn't apply because it's a physical business. Right. But if you're selling like, you know, a book or a flash drive or stuff like that, for the most part, you can still operate. And if you determine that you like it makes sense that your business can still operate. Yeah. You can actually get like the ad space is a lot cheaper than it normally is because yeah, like you said, a lot of the physical businesses or businesses that were scared of this whole pandemic, a lot of them shut down their ads. And so there aren't as many people advertising on Facebook and Google right now as there usually is, which means that it doesn't cost as much to do it because it's not as competitive. That's a Nick. I never thought of that. That's a great point. So yeah, anyone who, yeah, you know, is thinking um, of of doing those types of ads because people aren't going away from you know Facebook and Google and you know whatever, um, they're still there. But but you're right. I mean, the volume of ads definitely would go down because a number of these places simply aren't available to do business under the decree. So so yeah, I mean that's wow. I mean, thanks for sharing that because um, I, a, I totally didn't think about that. Yeah, to give you an idea of how how good this can actually be. I had this new campaign that I was working on for that music software client. It went from like, you know, 50% of the way towards being profitable to almost like a two, I think it's like right now it's like a 2.5 times ROI. It went from losing money to making quite a bit of money in a day. That's incredible. And I've like, I've seen, I've seen campaigns go from not profitable to profitable, but not that fast. Right. And granted, I've been doing this for about two years. I haven't, I haven't seen everything, but I doubt that happens very much. Oh my goodness, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to um, coronavirus. You know, impacting your campus, and you, you decided to stay in your apartment, which is located, what, about a mile from campus instead of, of leaving. So um, tell me about the process where you, you said, I'm going to, I'm going to stay here versus, um, you know, getting out and going somewhere else. Well, funny story about that. Cause they announced, they announced that they were officially shutting down the campus right before spring break. And I, Initially, I had planned to spring, spend spring break in Hawaii, which is actually where I was born and where my dad is. Um, so I really wanted to go there. But, but one, one, I realized, one, the flight w- might get canceled because right. Hawaii is probably more susceptible than most states to a pandemic like this. But what I also realized is, you know, there were these travel restrictions, which it makes sense to do, because if you don't want it 
if you're trying to keep something from spreading, the last thing you want to do is just make it so people can fly anywhere they want. Right. And so that's something even my dad and I even talked about. It's like, even if I am able to get to Hawaii, I might not be able to get back here, which yeah. could be a problem because even though I can work remotely, I've noticed the Pacific, the Pacific time zone is probably the best place <laughs> to work remotely because you're within two to three hours of everywhere else, everyone else in the U.S. Like you're two hours ahead. My friends in New York are only three hours ahead. Hawaii is two to three hours behind. So, but if I was in Hawaii and had to communicate with a client in New York, that's like a six hour time. Oh difference. God. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, and as you said, um, you know, you, you could be in Hawaii and hypothetically fly back and Washington state could say, okay, now you have a 14 day self quarantine. Like you have to stay in. And, and so you, you could have all of these things too, that, that you'd be dealing with. So we're actually but, doing that in Hawaii right now. It's like I've seen on the okay. news, and my dad has confirmed it. It's like right now, anyone, even if you already live there, anyone who flies into Hawaii has to do a mandatory 14-day quarantine. Okay. And Hawaii, funny enough, Hawaii is actually getting hit a, li- a lot harder than most other states right now because at least – you know, something like Washington and Wisconsin, at least they're part of the continental U.S. So even if they can't fly stuff in, they can still ship things in from like, you know, boats or uh, trucks. But Hawaii, you can pretty much only fly things in right. or ship things in from the boats. Um, yeah. In Hawaii, they've actually arrested a few people for breaking quarantine. Wow. And wow. their supply lines are actually suffering a little bit because... You know, fl- you know, you know, the airlines are having problems right now. Oh yeah, yeah. Like where I'm at, and we have a major rail line comes through town. So you know, you'll you'll see that with 150 cars, you know, behind it, and of course, you know, the interstate. So the semis are are coming in and out, and and um, we have a you know major airport, 40 miles away in Madison. So the ability to still you know get things here is pretty easy, relatively speaking, but. Um, so, Nick, uh, if I'm correct, uh, your university, the dorms have closed, right? They, they've told students you're, um, you're out of the dorms, right? Not really. They're still what? Open. Whoa. Well, they're still, well, here's the thing. They're still open, but they're trying to limit how many people they need to look after. Like, I have an email right here that I got basically a few days after they announced that they were closing down. Um. So I'll just read a little excerpt. In an effort to increase social distancing, Governor Inslee placed statewide restrictions impacting Wazoo Pullman's ability to provide that full residential experience. Um, and it basically, and the the key takeaway, obviously, because they made it bold, is if you can stay at your permanent residence, be do, please do so. Like the gist of this email is basically, it's like the dorms are open for people who you know, can't go back to their original residence or maybe international students who are yeah. going to have a lot of time going back to their country. But they're basically saying, if you can stay, if you can stay out of Pullman and not have to use the dorms, please do so. Okay. But for those who do need to stay at the dorms, we'll do what we can. Um, wow. And, and as far as like in-person classes, those have been shut down, right? Everything is, is virtual or some form of virtual or you're watching record it, but you're not going to any, thing on campus correct right. 
Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, yeah, that's so we, we talked about this at the start of the show. Um, you know, you, you have some advice to offer to anybody that might be returning to a university setting, let's say in, in summer or fall, I think it's going to be fall. I don't think anybody's going to be doing in person, um, in the summer, but let's say fall in person starts again, people return to campus. Um, and share that with me, uh, share that with everybody. You said there's like one piece of technology that everybody should invest in right now, if you haven't already. Yeah, I'd say now we're talking about, you know, I'm talking about students here, but I really realize this applies to anybody who sure, wants sure. to, who, especially if you work mostly online, it's invest in a good router. Yeah, okay. invest in a router. I mean, it's just, it's in anybody, a router, you know, it's, it, it's a little box with like the four antennas off of it. Yeah, um, right. I think Nick's looking for one right now. So, so yeah, you, you can um, pick up a router and it, if you... This Absolutely. Thing, this thing is the router right here. Right there. Yeah. So, so um, the router is what sends your Wi-Fi around your your house, right? And a lot of these, and actually, I mine is up on the right hand corner. It's kind of mounted up toward the wall. I updated mine in December, and I and I bought one. Um, as you, it wasn't quite a gaming one, but it was higher end. And and as you said, Nick, I mean, why not go with a gaming router? Why not get as much capacity as you can? Spend the extra money because if if you you need to get that bandwidth and also you know like for me my kids are at home now so they're doing virtual classes and we're all using this if i wouldn't have done this um i would have our system would have really slowed down right because we would have been overwhelmed and now i'd be trying to compete for routers with everyone else trying to buy routers i'd have to try to learn the router um and it's a couple hundred bucks right but what so what do you recommend for somebody who wants to buy a router what should they I mean, what should they look for? Um, well, I'd say a lot of this is just going to come down to your budget, especially if right now, like, especially if you were working at like a restaurant and essentially lost your job. But the first thing is that if you have the budget for it, get a gaming router. Like yeah. those things. Funny enough, I realized we miss out on a lot of product. A lot of people miss out on a lot of products because things are labeled as gaming it's like you know if you see the word gaming router you might think oh i don't really play any video games or anything like that so it right. won't make sense for me to get it what you what people don't realize is that gaming routers you know gamers need a lot of bandwidth because they're like you know they could be live streaming or they're playing these games that have these just insane graphics that take a lot of bandwidth to load and so gaming routers are usually just top of the line routers like the best types of routers money can buy. I don't have a gaming router because it was just a little bit outside my budget, but I have one that's like the next best thing. I think the router I'm using now is for like five people and it's just me using it. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like oh. a gaming router or another example, a gaming chair. Like, I yeah, love that chair, Nick. Video games. I'll send, I'll find what the name that's of awesome. it. I'll send you a link. But like, you know, even if you don't play video games, like I don't really play video games, this chair would be really good if you have like lumbar support or just need a really comfortable chair because you have a job that's sitting around all day. Or, or right now, people are, are spending more time, yeah, as students taking courses online or, yeah, if, if they're working from home, uh, you know, to invest in something like that. And this is something now that 
to me, I mean, you've just pointed out the word gaming. When I, when I did a search for, for my router and, you know, I'm filtering through back in December, if I saw the word gaming, I was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not a gamer. But that's actually probably really uninformed marketing by the companies. Like maybe instead of gaming, it should be renamed if, it, if they said this is a, a high performance multi-device um, router or something like that for, you know, the, you know, for business um, students and gamers, then I'd be like, oh yeah, like, okay, I'm going to check this out. I think the, I think they lost money from me simply because they market it and they, all of the, the images and stuff were just of gamers versus showing me the other capacity. I mean, is, is that your take that I, I think this, um, this is really, I guess maybe income. I know it's a big market, but, um, but yeah, well, I, I don't know. Um, I actually kind of disagree. Like, yeah, okay. it is true that a lot of gaming products are just useful as whatever things like, you know, gaming chairs. A lot of the times they're just t really good top of the line chairs. Same deal with gaming laptops and gaming routers. But I don't think it's a mistake on the part of their marketing to focus on the gaming aspect. Because obviously, because, you know, in marketing, you have to think about like who your target audience. And obviously their target audience is gamers. Gamers. You know, even though there are other people that would want a chair like this, a lot of the times gamers who want to have like who like to show off their setup, they are willing to spend just a ton of money, right? On, like the best router or chair or laptop, more than the other people. So I don't think that they're missing out from that. Okay. I don't think they're missing out that much by emphasizing the gaming. I think it's more a mistake on the part of the consumer for not realizing that. Even if you're not a gamer, there are still, there are still, you know, a, you yeah, might yeah. want it anyway. That's a good point. So, so yeah, like me, I upload a lot of video and, you know, whether it be for the podcast, but also I teach at a university level. So I record, uh, you know, like a corresponding lecture that goes with, with every week. And, you know, if I have a better a router, obviously I can upload that faster, right? It's not going to take me an hour to upload something it might take 20 minutes so that's that's a good point so i those are the things you need to look at and make yourself familiar with what the terminology is and also the coverage of like how many square feet i know that was a big thing um when i bought this was the the square footage of of range without getting like a repeater or something um because the other one i had previously i just kind of bought it off the shelf maybe at walmart i don't know eight years ago it still worked but um, I didn't realize it was for a house that's, you know, about half the size of my house. So um, I was like, God, why does this suck? Like we're in the back room <laughs> or, you know, then I got like one bar, like what the hell's going on here? And it's just like, that, that was the capacity of that machine. I mean, that's all it, all it could do. It was kind of, you know, and technology, like, right. It's old technology. I mean, if you have a router that's eight years old, you know, that's, that's, you know, pretty old stuff. Um. Yeah, and the other thing is if you do want to invest in a router or just technology in general, now is a really good opportunity to look for it or even if you even if you buy used cuz I almost wish that I waited till after this started to get my router cuz the reason I don't use this router and have the router over there is because I co-host a bacon show the laughter at humanity show and and one of 
in the middle of the live stream, my router crapped out, and so we had, <laughs> we had Atham take over for the rest of the show. Okay. And then, like, I tried to realign this, and the little wire just popped right. out. I'm just like, oh, okay. So I had to spend some time. I, I just picked up a really good one from Walmart, but, you know, that was before, you know, stuff really started going down here. But right now, what I realized is you can get a lot of good deals on used technology right now because, you know, a lot of people are out of work temporarily right. or permanently. They need money. And so they sell their old technology. And so you can save money just by the fact that it's used. But also, quick little economics lesson, what do you think happens to the price of something when the owner wants to sell it really quickly? Right. It, it, they, they drop it. Right. I mean, it, it gets, and, and you can even do or best offer and say, I'll give you, you know, 20, 30% below what they thought was their basement and they'll take it if it's cash. Right. Um, so one of the things I've seen in, and after this, and I I'd like you to go in and, and give people an idea of where they can find technology that's used at a reasonable price. But my, my neighbor, um, we're having a talk the other day and he said, he goes, I was, I was on Craigslist last night and just checking out like our area. And he's like, you know, couches, 20 bucks, like a nice couch, uh, fitness equipment, bikes, um, you know, TV sets, computers, laptops. He said, it's, it's all like basement. It's all flooded, like basement price, make an offer. People take it. And I went in and I'm like, oh my God, like this is, this isn't like weightlifting equipment, you know, here it is, $25, take it. Um, one of the things I always watch is firewood, right? Because I've, I've burned firewood to heat the house and the price of firewood just like plummeted. People are, they'll let, you know, gas is a buck a gallon. So to drive, you know, a, a load of firewood out and, and drop it off that, you know, that price here was probably, you know, 80 bucks um, for, you know, quart of firewood or basically, I don't know, but um, it's down now easily to like 30, 40 bucks. People drop it off because they just want money. So tell me about your advice to people who, you know, want to upgrade their technology because now's a good time, you know, get, get more, uh, more efficient technology to use the bandwidth that's available out there that maybe has more Ram in it too, that, uh, uh, you know, so, it, it just operates faster, even if the, the technologies or, or everything gets throttled a little bit. But is it like Facebook groups? Is it Craigslist? How do you make sure you're not getting ripped off that someone's not selling you a, you know, a 10 year old HP LCD, you know, laptop or something like that? Um, you can usually tell. Well, perfect example. I got this phone. It's my new phone. I got it off the Facebook marketplace. So I look there and if you can look look for someone in your local area, not only because it's less likely to be a scam, but also so you can get it quicker if you want to. Um, as far as the technology you should upgrade, though, I'd say, especially if you're a student or I guess most people, because most people are working from home, your first priority should be a router because most of your devices are going to have to connect to the internet. And if you don't have a router, that can do that, then it pretty much makes the rest of your technology pointless. So priority number one is a router. That's the only one I'd say, gotcha. just buy it new. Don't buy a used one unless you absolutely have to. But first priority is a router. Um, second one, and everything from here on out, you can buy used. Okay. Second priority would be a laptop because that's probably where you're going to do most of your work. 
Um, then, I don't know, maybe a phone if you have money left over from the router and the laptop. But yeah, just your general technology setup. Just make sure you start with the router. So yeah, okay. So, you know, let's say a friend of yours is, is saying, yeah, okay, I heard this and I, I want to do this. I want to come back in fall and I want to have, you know, an upgraded technology and stuff like that. Um, how how does this actually work? Like, let's say you, you decide to buy a phone or laptop. Um, do you recommend, you know, you meet up with somebody on that? Is it okay if they mail it to you or... Um, you know, um, I guess, I guess what's the, that you demonstrate or what if they send you the phone and how do you set that up on your own network then? How does, how does that work? Um, there's a few questions there. Uh, the first one is meet up if you can. The guy who sold me this phone, I met up with him. Um, he was actually nice enough to come all the way down from Spokane, which is like a good hour and a half away. So I was grateful for that. But yeah, meet them in person if you can. It's also why you want to do it like local. Right. Um, let's see. Sorry. What was the second part of that question? Let's see. Um, so, oh, like if, if they're getting a phone, um, how do they, how do they connect that to their network? I mean, how does, how does, how does that become my, you know, US cellular or Verizon network? Um, because usually I just buy my phone from the phone place. Like I just go there and I get the phone, but, um, and I think, you know, other people do that too, but so if you're buying a phone that's that's used, how do you set it up on a network? Well, oh, like your carrier? Yeah, yeah. Well, you really have two options. One is you make sure the phone is unlocked. That means it's no matter what SIM card you put in here, it'll it'll work. Okay. Like I have AT and T. The other thing is that if it's not unlocked, just make sure that whoever's selling you the phone also uses AT and T. Like in this case, this guy, the guy I bought this from also uses AT&T. So I was just able to take my SIM card out of this. It's my old phone and put it in this one. Oh, gotcha. So when when did you buy that? When did you get that phone? Like about a week and a half, two weeks ago. It wasn't there. It wasn't very long ago. So was your take that the seller was, was selling it to get cash? I mean, was motivated to be like, I need money right now because things are shut down. So was that? leverage that you that you had during that transaction well well, the price was already a little bit lower than that than the going rate that i've seen on the facebook marketplace like the this particular guy who sold me this particular phone he didn't seem too bad but when i was looking for like you know used iphone xr on facebook marketplace i saw quite a few listings um in just other parts just in my local area and other parts of the world that's like yeah, I'm putting this at a lower price for a quick sale. Or oh, or the other one is Oboe, which if you don't know means or best offer. Right. I saw a lot of those. But yeah, that's why a lot of people are selling off their old stuff right now, just because they need money quickly. So if they're looking in marketplaces, um, I mean, again, somebody somebody's like, where do I find these things? So it can be Facebook market. What do you think about Craigslist? What do you think about eBay? Is there any plus or minus? Like also knowing from a marketing standpoint of, of you know, um, I guess what's most reliable uh, for places that people might go um, get the best deals. What, what would you recommend? The best, well, your best bet is usually just to buy local if you can, because it's your local area. Um, I don't buy 
a ton of used stuff, but so far Facebook Marketplace has been good for me. Just, you know, do your due diligence, and if something, if you feel like something's fishy, don't buy it and look somewhere else. But right. yeah, Facebook, places like Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, and I guess eBay, you know, they would work. But if you can buy local, buy local. Wow. A must-read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, A brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents with the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work. Read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater. Buy the international bestseller, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, now at Barnes and Noble or Amazon. So what? So what else? So so you come back this fall. Um, how is this? Because <laughs> I because I know my classes are shut down. Because what they keep the professors kept telling us it's at least until the end of the semester. For for in person, right? Is that yeah. what they're saying? Okay. Um, so what? You come back this fall. Um, what what are some things you bring with you? What are some other, I guess, even situational awareness things that you you keep an eye on to to try to stay days ahead of my you know what might be unfolding? Um, I guess you know again you're a very perceptive person. Situational awareness, as you said, you started to watch what was happening around you and, and had a lead into this of, of a few days. So how has this changed you? I mean. What are you going to be looking for? What are things you're going to bring with you? Or are you going to, um, you know, stock some more, you know, food, some battery packs? I mean, here's one thing. I'm going to, yikes, I'm going to get it out. So this is, this is a battery pack. Um, this is, it's made by Anchor. So you, you, you've got a lot of those, right, Nick? You fly with them. I, I said yeah, this one. I, Funny enough, you were telling that story on the live stream, like you got stopped in like what this TSA is a, this for is a bad, that? This is a bad idea because this thing looks just like a flattened stick of dynamite. So uh, even then, like technically, so does mine. The only difference is that mine is black and right. yours is red. And I've I've gone know. to and from a bunch of different places carrying two two of these, and I've been completely fine. But yeah, so so I think though this is a really smart thing to have. Um, because let's say, you know, you're on the move because of something, you know, if you're in your car, yeah, you have a car charger, but, um, let's say you, you did have to go to the hospital, um, because of this, or there was, you know, self quarantine for some reason, like they're saying, Nick, your apartment building, you know, four people tested positive. So now we're going to, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking this now is something, and I have two of these, I have one that's smaller and blue, but, um, I, I take it with me when we when we go places, like even if we go out for a ride, because a small one is it, it's has a little case and stuff like that, clamshell case. But yeah, if we if we need it to be somewhere, imagine like we're in a hospital waiting room or something like that. Um, 
I don't, you're not going to have a chance to plug your phone and you probably wouldn't have your phone cord with you. But if I have this, I can charge my phone, you know, seven, eight times off of this. So basically this just, these things cost maybe 30 to 40 bucks. There's different brands out there and you, you plug it in, there's USB, you plug it in and it charges and it holds a charge, you know, for probably several months. Um, and then you can pu plug your phone cord in and kind of do a reverse where it'll just charge your phone. But um, I did this because of Disney. That was one of the things. We went to Disney three years ago, and I had one of these similar made by a different company. And it was great like because we'd be in the park. You're snapping a lot of pictures and stuff like that. And then suddenly it's like, ah, oh, the, the phone's starting to go down. So when we grab dinner or something like that, I would just charge the phone up and it worked well. But I think this is something I would recommend, um, you know, maybe to university students. Um, it, it, I guess maybe to everybody right now, because also what if what if your power, you know, went out? And I don't know. I, I, I think this has kind of become one of my pandemic staples right now of, of having this, because if I needed to especially get to a medical facility for, you know, my family or, or something like that, I just don't anticipate I'd be able to be able to recharge things unless I had access to my car. And I don't, I don't know how reliable that would be. And for like 30 or 40 bucks. And it, it not only that it charges like a Chromebook, iPad, you know, those, those types of things. But um, so, but so that's like a behavior for me that's changed. Like that will always be charged and I'll always have one ready to go. If I, you know, if I need to, if I get a call and, or something, something happens, but um, how about, how about you? I mean, what, what are some things that have fundamentally changed for the way that you would, you know, you do things the way that you chop the way that you're perceiving customer, not customer perceive a situational awareness, um, you know, your backup plans, uh, more, I don't know, access to cash funds, credit cards. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? How's it, how's it changed that for you, Nick? Um, um, I definitely have bought, when I go grocery shopping, I buy a lot more meat than I used to, but in fairness, that could just be because I'm trying to eat more like chicken and egg right now anyway. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, mostly just keeping things charged and pretty much just keeping an eye on what's happening. Because if I go to Dismores or Walmart or something one day and find out that the supply lines are getting thick, you know, then then it might be time to stock up or take inventory or start considering some things. I mean, it might sound a little bit reactive, but it's like, you know, a lot of times it comes down to what happens in the moment anyway. Like you could make, I mean, you've talked about this in the book, you could have these flip charts or make these really specific plans of what you're going to do right. if, if shit hits the fan, basically. Absolutely. But all it takes is for one thing to not go according to plan, and that plan pretty much goes out the window. Yeah. I mean, here's, you know, here's an example too. So down to using your discretion, really, you know, we have a, you know, our, our friend, uh, Rob says out of Utah, um, one of the masculine geeks. So a couple of weeks ago, they had a 5.7 earthquake and it was a mile from his house. So, you know, his house got pretty disrupted and no structural damage, but that's in the middle of like everything else going on. So you're thinking about supply lines and, and, you know, relying on electricity during, a this, this, you know, shutdown of things because of coronavirus and all of a sudden this, this compounds. And one thing I've learned too is, 
I mean, we can re, we we can depend upon ourselves and our family, right? That's our locus of control. I have I have no control over someone that comes in and decides to buy everything that's on a shelf, even if they don't need it, which they don't, right? But and that would disrupt that chain of of you know supply chain. Um, I've I have no control over some of those things, so I've got to be able to make in the moment decisions. Um, so tell me, yeah, what else as a college student? So let's put you in this spot. So Nick, you're, you're brought in. Um, it's, it's a orientation for students who are going to be starting in fall. And they're, you know, some are asking questions. They're like, Hey, uh, Mr. Shoelander. Um, so, you know, the pandemic, coronavirus, things like that, like, what should I do to be prepared in fall? Like I listened and you talked about a router and other things, but should I, what things should I bring? Or even like what clothes should I pack or how, or how, what do I watch to try to like really stay ahead of stuff? Because by the time the university sends out an email to me, maybe like it's too late. I, you know, then if I'm trying to get, yeah, boxes, flights out, whatever it is, I'm, I'm further down that process. There's people ahead of me. So um, yeah, what, what, it, and they're like, Nick, that book school of airs is pretty awesome. He'd be like, yeah, yeah I know it is. And, <laughs> hey, let's, let's give a shout out by the way, to our good friend, bacon Maldito, um, uh, bacon, uh, how about, how do, can people access, um, his work? And I, I, you mentioned him before, uh, what is it? Laughter to humanity or. Yep. Um, so his show is the Laughter at Humanity show, which you can find at thegoddamnbacon.com. He writes he writes articles about a bunch of different things like philosophy and nutrition, and he has his show that I think he releases every Wednesday or Thursday. And I usually co-host now, so if you want, awesome, you can go there. Um, we also are live on Instagram. Um, on Sunday nights, although to be fair, it's like really late at night in the Pacific time, so not everyone can tune in live. But you can watch the recordings at thegoddamnbacon.com. Yeah, bacon really, I mean, it's, you're right, it's philosophy. And it's it's a really stabilizing, um, not only discussion of what happens, but then the blog posts um, are, are, I mean, it's not going to ramp you up. You're not going to feel anxious and all of this. It's a very clear-headed approach at a whole bunch of different things in life. And especially right now, the, the posts that have gone out in the last couple of weeks, um, I, th- I think are just really uh, clear and settling to people of saying, here's through all the fog, here, here's how to kind of ground yourself. So uh, Bacon's, to, I, he, I feel he's always written like that, but I think some of his, his most um, timely work is right now when so many people are not in there. They're still out kind of in chaos. So yeah, our good friend Bacon Maldito. Um, so yeah, let's, let's come back to this. So, so here, here you are, it's Mr. Shoelander. Here's Mr. Shoelander, and and they're like, you know, he'll take questions, and the students are like, well, what should I do? Like, should I bring like, you know, an extra sleeping bag? Should I should I bring this? Should I bring like a double A batteries? Like, were those gone? Should I should I bring cash? Like, should I bring? Am I hiding cash? You know, in an empty Coke can in my Coca Cola can, I guess, in my fridge. I mean, what people are having these questions. I mean, people really are. I mean, they're, they're like, how do I do the ATMs? Do you, do you use it? Maybe they're going to be, how do I do this? Like, should I have four credit cards in case? So, so what do you do? Like you're, um, you're the guy, you're like, I've been there and let me tell you about yeah. what I think. Um, I'd say don't get too specific. Like what you've mentioned multiple times in the book is like, we can't just narrowly focus on one thing that could happen. We need to basically 
be prepared, have a little bit of preparation. Yeah. For anything. Um, there's some basics. One is bring a router. Um, the other thing is have a little bit of canned food. You don't have to go all like, you know, end of the world and clean out grocery store, but you know, just like a few cans of like, I don't know, soup or, you know, something non-perishable that can last a while. Um, yeah, I'd say that a lot of it is just the basic stuff you'd have to buy anyway. Just have a, just yeah. a lot yeah. of basics really. Um, you know, one of the things. Ideally, what I'd recommend is that most of the times in college, if you can try to get an off-campus apartment, because funny enough, what I realized is that my apartment is like at least it only costs half as much as the cheapest dorms here. Okay. So I'm like, so you save more money that way. Um, and it's and it's locus of control, right? Because I mean, if you're staying in a dorm, the university system can can dictate what happens um, in that situation. As far as like, yeah, don't come back or. I shared this story with you before. One of my um, one of my friends, his son, attends uh, a university in California, one of the public universities. So they they were told to to you know take their things and, and leave campus, which which they did. But he had a few things he needed to go back and get, so he drove like three four hours back to the campus, and it was shut down. Like he couldn't get into the dorm, and he still had possessions like in his dorm room, um, and they the university basically said. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got everything closed. If there'll be a point in time, we'll notify you, and then you can come up and, and come in and get the rest of your things. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great suggestion, too, if you can live off campus, because I believe that university housing is going to be really dicey for the fall. And, it, and the moment something sparks up, you know, some, some cases – of you know coronavirus in in one area spark up all the universities are going to shut down like they're not going to hesitate i mean as, as far as like yeah. university housing so especially once one school shuts down once it, 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 schools look at what other schools are doing do. and you, that is the basis to justify what they're doing and if i have this correct that's called social proof right you've talked about that that term uh, of basically social proof is basically you see other people like in my case if you wanted to hire me my testimonials would be social proof. You could see like, oh, he's done this before. This is what the people we work with have okay. to say about it. So what is it? What would what would be the term then for um, so a university s- sees that another university has shut down and then they're getting uh, pressure probably of saying, well, they shut down to keep their students safe. Why aren't you shutting down to keep your students safe? Um, what is there a term? For that, that, yeah. that process of, of kind of saying, well, they did it, so they must, um, yeah. I don't know, care more. I mean, all of these things can be thrown out there. Most marketers would probably just call that social proof. Okay. But in putting it as simply as I can, it's monkey see, monkey do. Okay. <laughs> That's the simple no monkey way. see. That's not even a marketing tour. Not even no. a marketing but uh, but, but it, I, I think that I mean I think everybody is going to be so ready to shut down um, oh, yeah. that that it is I mean it, people will just be sitting there like on that proverbial light switch like they'll have they'll have it in their their fingers and they'll be like what they shut down boom we're gone send the notice 48 hours we want people off campus and if you are again off campus and when I went to college I lived off campus um, 
And, you know, I, I also thought, I, I experienced the same things you did. I mean, it was cheaper. I had much more control over what was, what was happening. I mean, we didn't have a resident assistant or anything like you know, that. And um, I'm glad that I did that route, but I, I think right now it gives you a, a much better locus of control. I mean, yes, like you're, you're the owner of the rental property and things like that could have some stipulations or things that go down, but it wouldn't be nearly as restrictive as what the university um, is is likely to do or what they have to. I, I've read some stories that have been really, um, I, I don't know if horrific is the word, but where universities have just said, you've got 48 to 72 hours, get everything out of the <laughs> dorm and, and get everything. You don't have to, wherever you go, you know, maybe you go somewhere in the community and we know you're a student from overseas or whatever. And, but they're like everything we're shutting the dorms down. We're locking the doors. And, um, I've heard many of those stories like authentically. And I have, I mean, again, I think the locus of control, you want to put yourself in the best position you can to be able to make decisions that aren't influenced, especially by big agencies and, and organizations. Um, so that, that's a really good point. And right now, as Nick, as you indicated, the demand for housing, um, you know, and the ability to work out deals on rent and things like that should should really be in the favor of the renter at this point. Um, you know, you should, you should be in, a, I would say, a very much advantaged position coming into fall because, you know, people who rent property are going to want want that revenue, um, you know, coming in. So I, mean, I kind of wonder what it's going to be like in Pullman during the fall, because Pullman's a college town, at least half of its population are actually college students. Right. But people realize that a lot of these classes can be done remotely, then you don't have as much reason to actually move out to Pullman if you want to go to Wazoo. So I wonder what that's going to do for the apartments. Because I live in this, because they have a bunch of different apartments we call it apartment land up here okay so you know if if the amount of students who are rem, who are attending remotely and don't need to actually be in pullman you know goes like this i wonder what's going to happen to the housing in pullman because a lot of it is catered to students like it's gotten to the point you know during the summer when a lot of students go back i stayed during the summer and I've talked to a few local business owners in this area, and they said, "Yeah, summer is usually a pretty tough time." And by the end of by the end of summer, a lot right. of businesses aren't doing very well. So I'm actually very curious to see what happens there. Um, one last thing I wanted to say on off-campus living, though, is you know, I'm not a big fan of dorms, and one of the reasons is dorms really aren't designed to be like permanent long-term residences because you know most dorms the individual the individual dorms are mostly just a bedroom basically yeah at least in a you know there's like a fridge somewhere down the hall right a lot of this stuff is (laughs) bathroom down the hall yeah but you know apartments they are for the most part they are made to be like you know permanent or long-term like places you can live like i have my apartment here i got I got my fridge, not the little mini fridge that a lot of people have in their dorms, like a big fridge. Um, Yeah, I have a living room and I have my own room here. You know, it's more things that even if you weren't in college, you would still want. Like if you weren't in college, nobody would want to live in a dorm. Right. (laughs) Right. 
I got a, I've got a college dorm story to share. So, so I, I was incorrect. I actually lived uh, one semester in a dorm. Um, it was back in the summer of 2000, summer of 2000. And this is an interesting story. I'll, I'll, I'll consolidate down, but it was uh, UW Superior. So, you know, northern part of Wisconsin, Superior, Duluth, uh, Minnesota. Um, I went back. I was getting my master's in education. You know, I was a superintendent, uh, principal, all of those type of roles. But this is when I was 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 obtaining that. I already had a master's degree. I was going back. So anyway, I went up, and that summer I stayed in a dorm because it was just it just made sense. I mean, I I, I lived four four hours from there, so I in it, it it was exactly what you said. It was a dorm, maybe built in the 1950s, and it's it was smaller than my studio down here. So what you know, maybe 12 feet by seven, 10 by seven. It's just a small place. And uh, get this, a couple things is one, they were they were renovating the that dorm that semester to add um, to to add internet. So they're they're drilling through the walls and they're doing this like this low budget bid. So people, it's like, you know, they're, they're no protective gear. Sparks are flying, stuff like this dust everywhere. You'd come back from class. You'd shake out the sheet on your bed, just cement dust, my laptop covered in dust is a horrible, horrible. You got one antiquated bathroom. Yeah. You got to go down the hall. And, uh, it, it, it was, so anyway, I, I, this this actually happened. So crossed, there was the a university center and they've since torn it down and replaced it, but the, it was like four stories tall and it was basically abandoned in summer. You go in there and you could eat and stuff like that. But on the third floor, they had this big lounge and I went in there and I, I actually made a fort. And so I'm like, what, what was this? So I'm like in my twenties, I, I made a fort out of furniture, like um, couches and stuff like that. And I slept over there in this fort. <laughs> I honestly did this because um, they kept working in our building, like all through the night, like you just couldn't sleep. There was no downtime. Like they would work in the basement or in other areas, other floors, but everything vibrated through like, and I think they did this to, to get this project done. And I, I don't know, but it was, it was horrific. So I slept in this fort, which was actually pretty cool. And then I came back. Um, but the university, I, for internet, they had no internet, right? Because they're putting this in at this time. So I got net zero from Duluth. And if anybody remembers net zero, it was an early internet service that you could get for free. It was dial up. And with net zero, um, they would have ads all around the, the outside of it. It was like the game Wham, whammy or something like that. And every like three minutes, you had to click on an ad for like 20 seconds to keep your free internet. And I had that set up with Duluth. So it was pretty cool. But um, at the end of the semester of the university, um, the, like the dean just came over and just leveled with us. Like there's maybe like 40 of us living in this dorm. And he's like, yeah, this is a horrible experience for you, everybody. We're not going to charge you anything. Like it's just, it's zero. But I remember, and, and the, oh my God, it was, it was just, but you talk about, um, that was, that was just a, yeah, a small area that you're living in, you're confined in. I had a small fridge and you're sharing a bathroom and yeah, obviously, you know, thinking ahead too. And, and, what if that summer, yeah, there's something that comes out that, you know, that's, that's pandemic. I mean, you wouldn't want to be concentrated in that area having to share bathrooms. Um, what if you're an internet and you might have, you might be stuck there. Cause what if you're an international student that lives like, you know, maybe you go to, maybe you go to college in, uh, in Wisconsin, 
but you're actually from like Japan or something and it's right. going to be hard to get back. So you might not actually have a choice. Like if you, if you end up stuck there, a dorm would really suck. An apartment's actually quite a bit better. Because, like, even if I am stuck here, at least there are a few rooms I could just walk around. It's not like I'd be, be trapped in this one room. Right. And the other part, yeah, too, you're, you don't have a lot of things that you commonly have to share. You know, again, like a, a bathroom or, you know, um, you know, I guess that would be probably the biggest one because that was that was the thing in, in the dorm, you know, that, that you always had to go down. And they had the, you know, rec areas and things like that where everybody was sharing. I just, I mean, now that we talk about it, I, I can't imagine how dorms return to operating the way that they did of putting, you know, 500 people into these big, you know, high rises, like, you know, UW Madison and stuff like that and, and sharing a lot of stuff. Um, I just, I, I, don't, I don't even, I, I'm sure they got to be meeting right now and figuring how are we going to do this? Like, are we going to make so many rooms empty per floor just so we don't have a density of people and yeah. Oh man. I don't, or what are we going to, like, let's say only half the people who come back decide to stay in dorms. Maybe the other half, like, this fall continues learning remotely. Right. Because they realize, like, I'd like to think right now that, like, secretly they're having this meeting that's like, oh, crap. Now people are going to realize they can work or they can work and go to school remotely. So we can't, we can't justify all this funding to build all these new buildings. What are we yeah. gonna do? So Nick, this was this was our paper yesterday, and it says UW Madison braces for one hundred million dollar hit. Okay, yeah. and then also universities will not reimburse students for tuition and fees. So I'm like, what? That, that kind of sucks. This was yeah UW UW Madison yesterday, and it was, and talk about not only like the the impact of that, but there's irony because. At the same time right now, so they're, they're saying we're taking a $100 million hit. We're not going to refund your, your tuition and fees. They're doing $100 million worth of construction on Camp Randall, the football stadium, and the Kohl Center um, to expand those out. So actually, that's about a $130 million project. And those are going just fine. We're going to push out our 80,000-seat arena with all these luxury boxes. Don't worry that we have social distancing and we might not be able to sell tickets and don't worry that it's a hundred million dollars while we're telling our students, we're not going to give them tuition. So it's, it's those hypocritical things, but um, Hey, I wanted to get your take on, on this, uh, on this too. And, and as we kind of get toward the end, this, this is really good. So I saw in Washington in, in the state of Washington, the city of Bellevue, do you know where that is? Bellevue, Washington? I do. It's closer to Seattle. Okay. I barely so, went to Seattle cause I, I don't really like big cities, but yeah. I have, I have an idea of where Seattle and Bellevue and all those places are. Okay. So, so Bellevue um, created a website on their police page and I, I did a 45 second, uh, I edited a video of, of this and I put it up on YouTube and uh, YouTube I put it on Twitter. And I think it received several hundred views like instantly. Um, but anyway, they, they put this, this web page up and it says, um, you can report social distancing violations in, in you know, gatherings. And um, so this is right on their police page. So you log in, or you're not log, you go there, you click it, and then it goes down. And actually, if you're in my Twitter, like you could find it if you just go kind of back on things that I posted. But it, I, I, did, I edited down this 45 second clip. So um, I showed people, here's the My Portal, and then there's a Google map. So you can zoom in on a Google map to where the area is. So like if your neighbor is having a cookout and there's eight people outside, 
you can drag that location over into the, the form and then you write a description. And then Nick, get this, you can upload photos. So you can, you can take photos of this. And, but the thing of this, I've seen this, it's in my neighboring County does this and it's starting to spread. I don't like this. Like, I don't like it because one, I think people are following the rules for the most part. Right. I, I think people are, I mean, people, for example, we don't tell people, Hey, if someone is passing you on the interstate five miles over the speed limit, you know, pull out your camera and take a picture of their license plate. Like we've never done that. But, um, so, so all of this, and I'm thinking, okay, somebody had to make this decision. We're going to take our tech team and they're, they're assigned to build this web page now while our city is trying to get essential services, notifications to people, you know, um, if they have to, to vote remotely, if they have to do all of these things, but we're going to say, no, we're going to take, you know, Karen and Bob, you know, your job for the next two days is to build this web page to report the stuff. So I thought that was kind of garbage. And then the other part is, um, how do you, how do you justify sending out police to check this when the police are self-quarantining, depleted and all of that and saying, right. instead of protecting our hospital or responding, if there's a car accident, we want you to go over there and, and check out Bacon's Barbecue because you've invited Atham and we think there's seven people there. I mean, to me, it's completely insane. And it, it kind of, it, it's like disrespectful to your law enforcement to say, this is what we value right now. I understand. I get it. If someone has like a hundred people at a party and they're totally in doing they're, something. Yeah. But, but, but even then it's like, you're asking, I mean, for, you know, for like big crimes, it makes sense. Like, you know, if you suspect that your next door, if you think your next door neighbor has killed someone, okay. You know, but for something like if they're oh, going out and about and, you know, that's just, that's bullshit. Frankly. It is. It is. I'm, and I'll include it when I, when I edit this, it is. And the other, and the other part is Nick, I mean, uh, photos, like anybody can deep fake a photo, like you could Photoshop, you know, something in, um, you, you could have a photo that you took before this took place and, and wipe out the, the metadata on it. I mean, that's the thing, like, who's going to, who's going to look at this photo on the police side when everything else is going to hell and, and all of this with, with the, the virus and really strained systems right now and say, oh yeah, that's authentic or it's not authentic. And what if it's also this one moment in time where somebody shows up at your house to drop off some supplies and for 30 seconds, there were eight people in your driveway, but then after that, they all dispersed. And, and, and does this give you permission to take a drone and get pictures? I saw YouTubers, somebody, somebody in Pennsylvania, one of my friends said, yeah, there's YouTubers in our area that are going out because they have pretty restrictive stuff in their counties. And the YouTubers are going out in, and they're doing live streams of trying to find people that they can report and bust. So, you know, this, this one I, I tuned in, yeah, they were out there driving the car. Looks like there might be people over there. Let's take some pictures. Let's, so you're turning these people into this, this Stasi, this, this reporting of their neighbors. And I think it really is a, it's a horrible message to send. And also you're allocating these resources that should be going somewhere else. But, um, um I, it reminds me of, yeah, I can't remember if it was you or this other thing I watched, but basically in like world war two, Russia, you know, a lot of people were really afraid to speak out against Stalin because there was like, a, I guess, a secret police. And so you don't know if the person that you say, you know, I don't really approve of what this Stalin guy is doing. You have no idea if the person <laughs> right. is going to say, you know, I actually agree with you on it. 
or if he's going to say, well, actually, sir, I'm with the secret police and we're going to have to put you under arrest. So oh, I no, no, you're, you're right. Thing. It's like you have no idea if like your next door neighbor is going to see you like going up, going outside, like maybe going for a run or something and just won't care or if he will actually report you for doing that. No, you're right. And it can be also, you know, if you've gone out multiple times during the day, so they're like, okay, you can go out for fitness or you can go out to get something, but this is the fourth time you've been out and someone could, could just say, I've got it on my ring camera on my house across the road. And I've seen this person leave four times and, and like you are presumed guilty, right? You have to justify this. If you get a, a visit by the police, you could get a fine. Uh, the other thing I've told people is these are all called like above the, the line fines. So it's not like a parking ticket. Like these things are basically impossible to get rid of. But if somebody said that, um, yeah, they say, you know, you, we have this picture, we have notification. There were eight people at your house in your yard and they weren't social distancing. There's not much you could do. And, and this, this is, so I don't know, again, if, if you've seen this, or if you're starting to, to, you know, see this, but Bellevue, Washington is one of the sites, but I've found so many, I mean, people will just email me and say, look at our webpage, look at our webpage. And again, it's, put in the location or drag it from the map, do a description and then include photos. I talked to a lawyer, Nick, and, and he was saying, you know, once you submit a photo to a .gov website, Freedom of Information Act request, you, you can probably get that photo like down the road. So, you know, like you could put in a request and find the photos that were submitted by people. And that seems like a huge privacy thing. What if, what if this becomes like shaming? What if a police... Some police in, in Britain, they actually take these photos and they post them online and they'll say, this person was out for a non-essential reason. This person was out and then their family's like, what the hell are you doing? Like you're online, like you're related to us. And, and how long does it take before employers see this or even like schools see this? They're like, Nick, come on, man. You just made the webpage here in, you know, in our city because yeah, you're, you're put in for this social distancing thing. Cause you're like walking past and someone snapped a picture as you walk past six other people. So now there's seven people in the frame. Yeah. Um, oh well, man. Like, you know, some States in the U S have like electronic surveillance laws where it's like illegal to record someone unless they're aware and consent to it. Right. Now, it's obviously not a problem in states that don't have those laws, but in states that do have those laws, like California, and I, I think Washington, too, what, like, how is that law going to factor in? Are we just going to ignore it for something like this, sir? I mean, right, because wouldn't it seem that, yeah, you would have had some consultation with your legal team, and, and how did this process actually happen? Because you just don't spring up a website where you can drag this Google map and have this information in processed like in 10 minutes, like I'm looking at this and say, there had to be some time put into this, this whole process. Um, but yeah, and that's a, that's a good point. Cause where do the laws right now kind of end and where do they start? Because I think the Stafford act makes that real nebulous. Like um, it, for example, you know, if people in, in my state are being, there's a, you can't be evicted right now. And if you, so, uh, rent, uh, rental owner, and I have a, I have a relative that owns property. They said, yeah, I mean, we couldn't evict anybody right now. And then actually in some counties, they're saying if, if a rent, uh, you know, rental owner comes in and says, this person didn't pay my rent and I'm going to take them to small claims court, they would just throw that out. Like, they'd be like, no, we got other things that we're dealing with right now. So, so yeah, we're, we're, 
where does this whole civil, civil liberties and so I mean it's it's just kind of a good a good discussion. Um, Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast. I've been getting a lot of information uh, how school safety is going to change because of the coronavirus. And it's, it, I knew it would happen, right, Nick? I knew this, this would change. And it's out there. Um, people, uh, companies 3D printing new door handles. So all you have to do is come up with, with a pen and press a, press a button and then it would open up the door which like doesn't comply with ADA or all this other stuff, but that's kind of all out the table. Like people just want to be safe, customer perceived values. So they're like, we can 3D print this overlay thing and you press it. And then also microbial, antimicrobial films and sprays everywhere. My God, I've seen that like in the last 72 hours, like that has just become, you know, you can, you can t- put this, this laminate on this clear laminate over like the parts of doors that people press or desk and it's antimicrobial, but every 30 days you have to peel it off and replace it. So we'll send you like a year supply. But, um, but the, so marketing has totally changed in school safety. It used to be barricades, um, bollards, things like that. Even a month ago, come this fall, it is going to be all this antimicrobial stuff, um, hand washing stations, maybe UV light stuff that kids, you know, put their hands under to kill a germ. Who the hell knows? I mean, it's, it's all going to be like this. Um, but yeah, I guess um, I, I don't know exactly where I was 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 going with that. Let's see. Oh, from an engineering um, standpoint, um, how do you think things are going to change? Maybe just in universal design, um, you know, whether it be buildings, more open spaces, keeping people apart. What do you what do you see of early stages of engineering because of this pandemic? Things that might change that right now engineers are going to have to start thinking about, um, you know, whether it be mass transit, whether it be whatever. Um, wh- yeah. Put your crystal ball out there and just say, you know, as someone um, who's, who's pursuing a degree in engineering, I think this is a game changer in these areas. Um, well, I'm studying mechanical engineering. I can't really, the only thing I might see in like mechanical, the mechanical side, which you could argue this is civil, is that the design of buildings are going to change. They're going to be more stripped down because people are going to people are going to realize, wait, we can do all this remotely. Why do we need to spend so much on these giant, you know, luxurious look luxurious looking buildings? Right. Although funny, a little bit of a tangent, but funny story. So a lot of my classes are in the engineering building, and you'd expect this is like engineering, and I think a bit of computer science. You'd expect that to be like the most technologically advanced <laughs> thing on campus. 
Right. Now, it is the oldest and most crummy looking building so, on campus. And it's got like <laughs> one outlet and then it's got like a, a thing plugged into it that has like six more outlets and then a thing that has six players. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I it's got just it. Like old and, <laughs> like old and run down. Meanwhile, I think the newest and best looking building on campus is one like the rec center. Right. Uh, <laughs> Which the students uh, want. Right. Of, well, maybe not the college, the college of communications. Okay. But I'm just like, really? No, it's, it's great. I mean, it's just, it's, there's so much irony in that, right? Like there's just so much crazy irony, but yeah. But I do see on the software side of things, especially because I'd like to think that this phenomenon of remote work and remote learning is going to become more prevalent because people are going to wonder, you know, why it took us a little while to get used to it. But, you know, once we did, we could save a lot of money on like office space. So on the software, or maybe the computer engineering side, the bandwidth is going to have to decrease. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Bandwidth. On um, YouTube or using Zoom. Maybe so, that might cascade into battery life because a lot of people are going to be using their phones for like Zoom or live streaming or whatever, which yeah. as we all know, it eats up your battery like really quickly if you do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great point. So right there, I mean, Battery technology, um, you know, long life life batteries, easier to recharge, um, anything that has to do with bandwidth. And then, yeah, I mean, let, as you said, I mean, if you're building um, a, a new public facility right now, let's say it's a, it's a dorm university building, um, city hall, office, whatever, you're going to look at this and say, how much of this can be done remotely? Like what we're, we're putting in for these different, you know, offices. And then also like um, how, what's our density of people? Like if, are we, you, you're just, I, I just can't see new construction having these, uh, these highly populated office areas, like just the cubicle type thing, because we all, we, we've seen those cubicle farms, you know, the cubicle goes up like five feet or whatever. I mean, somebody coughs or somebody's sick that whole area is like done, but, um, right. so or open planned offices. I know a lot of marketing <laughs> agencies have those where it's like just the giant table and it's, it's not exactly a cubicle, but everybody has like their own little section of the desk. I'm not a big fan of those types of offices, but so it yeah. would suck to be a construction company that like specializes in those right now. And the other part too, right? Like, uh, you know, how you do your wall coverings. I mean, you want things you're probably going to be able to to wipe down. You're not going to want fabrics and you're not going to want, you know, um, stuff that, that you can't, you, you can't spray down. Um, so all of, all of these things are going to have to be considerations like in, in any, and then also retrofitting. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my mind about around, you know, these arenas, like all of these, you know, like here in Milwaukee, well, not in, in Milwaukee, but I'm close to Milwaukee, the Pfizer Forum where the Bucks play. I mean, that opened two years ago. So how, how do you, I mean, 18,000 people in a small area that's enclosed, how, how do you do that again? How do you build the new arena? How do you build the arena that opens in 2025 that has more space or, or that is engineered that it has antimicrobial or viral stuff? So after every event, there's some process with UV light that's cost effective or whatever. And these surfaces already uh, make it difficult for um, things to live. I mean, all of this stuff has to be re-engineered, right? You go into a, the bathroom, as we know, like yeah, the hands-free for the, the towel, the paper towel coming out, like all that shit's got to like become standard, like everywhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, 
And what do you think that's going to do to like ticket prices or maybe not ticket prices, but concession prices? Like if you want to get like nachos or. Yeah, you're probably going to, right. Cause you're going to have, uh, you know, you're not going to have a deep line. You're going to have, you know, barriers probably put up because right now the early stuff I've seen is like they put at Walmart, for example, my Walmart, they put blues squares on the floor. They say, stand here. Next person stand here. Next. If you're checking yeah. out or something like that. Man. Yeah. If you get it at line at, oh. at an arena, Oh, I mean, you're right. So, so the, the, this whole mechanical and, and, um, cause you said you're mechanical engineering, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but mechanical would also be how maybe like what, so lights turn on, how all of these things, um, yeah, and we have to, it's like, well, I guess a lot of like the cleaning stuff would probably be chemical. Cause you got to figure out what chemicals would be cost effective to use to clean, but the mechanical things, it's like, you know, how are we going to, maybe it's like, maybe it's like when no one's around these giant jets come down from the center of the stadium and spread it. How do we design that? Yeah. So, no, you're right. You're right it on. It'd be a nightmare for, I'd imagine civil engineers, most of all. <laughs> suppose, suppose that, you know, after this blows over, even after it blows over and we can go out again, people are still, people just don't see the point in like going you know, large groups of people for no reason. So imagine ticket sales, like actual ticket sales for to see the game in person go like this, along right. as with all the other events that the right. stadium can do. It's like, what is the city or, you know, whoever, you know, whoever going to do with that giant building, which probably still has a lot of upkeep and now like has a severely limited capacity to pay, to pay for its cost with the events it hosts. Right. And, and, and Nick, this is a great point. And it's the same thing with, uh, with schools, right? Like, you know, these, these massive referendums to build these huge, um, not only K-12, but K-16 schools. Um, a lot of times, and let, let's say what you, what you, what you just said, these big arenas, uh, cities give them tax breaks. So like in Milwaukee, they're like, you know, you don't have to pay taxes for 15 or 20 years to bring this here because it'll have this economic, you know, boom. And, and the city then, you know, pays for the water and sewer and sidewalks around it. And all of a sudden, um, now, like, yeah, they're saying, we're not going to have the people. Like, we're probably not going to pay you back. <laughs> and in 20 years, I mean, this building is, is probably going to be outdated because engineering is going to have to go so much forward to, to try to retrofit this into something that would, would be a, pan a pandemic um, acceptable facility to interface with would just be too much. We're going to have to retrofit. So yeah, as you, as you indicate it, what in the hell are these places going to do? Um, you talked about universities. So you, you know, university of Wisconsin, Madison is yep. close by 40 minutes away, very yep. dense, like super dense, 40,000 students. And, you know, realistically this fall, you know, I would say 10 to 15,000 students won't come back to campus. They'll, they'll stay off of campus. That's a huge moneymaker. I mean, it's the dorms, Camp Randall, 80,000 seats, uh, the Cole Center, 17,000 seats. These are always sold out for conference or, or, or concerts, events, basketball, all these things. That's shut a down. People, a lot of people, a lot of people can just buy like a subscription to what ESPN and just watch the game that way. So no, I'd imagine those are probably going to spike too. Yeah, you're right. I mean, so I mean, once the sports start, you know, actually happening again. So maybe now's a great time to get your big screen, you know, TV, you know, watch for, watch for those on sale and, and, and get something like oh, that yeah, because on the Facebook marketplace, I just, but the thing that I've noticed, it happens 
this is what big, not just big buildings, but big things in general are really susceptible to. You know, it's like once things start, you know, once things start shutting down and stores start leaving, it's like, it's a pretty serious domino effect. Like to give you an idea. um, So I spent Christmas in the Midwest in Ohio and my aunt and uncle, they took me to this one really old mall, like this store in the mall. Okay. It's this giant shopping mall. Just think about giant shopping mall. You pretty much have it. Only two stores in that entire mall are open. Wow. And according to my aunt, that is the way it's been since like 2008. Wow. Like, you know, it, you know, two oh stores have been there, but every other store in that entire mall is shut down. So, so Nick, like where I'm at, you know, in Madison, they have two large malls um, and both have been completely closed for three weeks. I mean, completely closed because of a decree from, from the governor. So as, as you just indicated, like if, if, and when those open up, you know, are they going to be half capacity? Um, Are people going to go there? And also like the college students who worked a lot of these places who are the workforce, they're probably not going to, to be back or there's going to be more competition, but yeah. Think about, oh my God, like the food courts. I mean, those things were kind of disgusting in the first place, like, right? But how in the hell do you pull that off? How do you pull that off under this this new normal? So, but I think as you indicated, like, again, you're very level, you're, you're analytical, you think through this and you, you see these big picture things. And especially as an engineer, as, as a marketer, you, you can see how these things are going to start to unfold. You can see that when you have discussions, you're going to have to say, Okay, but if when we build this, yeah, how are we going to accommodate for yeah the, these new cleaning, sanitizing type technologies, which will just be innate to structures? How are we going to do this? Are we going to pay for them? Is more important. How are we are probably going to pass that off to the you know the people who buy the tickets, and they're yeah. probably they're probably tight on cash if they worked at like a restaurant or one of those non-essential jobs, so they have less money, and the tickets got more expensive because they had you to pay it back. So it's just going to create a domino effect. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, that type of stuff. It, I'm, I mean, I can't get this image out of my mind that you just talked about before. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining myself like inside the Pfizer forum. And then, um, you know, when it's all done, um, you know, that the, this thing lowers down. And then suddenly, you know, it's like this misting INI spray that covers like everything. And it takes like two hours for it to dry. And, uh, and I mean, but that, and maybe every time you, you apply that, you know, that's like $10,000 every time, you know, to get this mixture and, and this, this process and, and maybe, you know, too, it's going to be insurance companies, right. Are going to say if, if they insure this place, you've got to do this like for liability before you have people come in, you have to do this. So that's the whole other part of this that I think will start to, to come out for, to come out too, is like what your insurance carries. Like I, I've watched, I've watched um, schools do lunches. So, you know, kids are now at home. So the schools are going out into certain places and handing lunches to parents and, uh, you know, for the, for the kids. But, but the part of that, that I, I'm looking at doesn't make sense is there's a lot of contact with that. Like they have gloves on, the, the school staff, and then they're handing it into somebody's car. Next car comes, they do the same thing, but they're not changing gloves and they're interacting with these cars without any like mask or stuff. So like, right. what if somebody comes through that is COVID positive and you're reaching in their car after they've been coughing for 10 minutes that they've been idling there. And now you have interacted and handed a bag to like, you know, 40 other people. I mean, that whole process is 
going to change once we get legal in. But, but yeah, I, I love this idea and I'd like to come back to it at some point as you think more about how, how the impact will be on not only new construction of, of everything from, from a house, even to house HVAC system, right? How do you do an HVAC system in a, in a dorm? How, how do you do your, so you're, you're, you're filtering, are you adding UV stuff to this? Are you adding new filters that have a higher MERV rating that you have to change out? What's that I mean, to do to the rent for the dorms and the tuition for school in general? I mean, there's probably going to be like a search. You're, you're probably going to see it explicit where it'll be tuition, fees, and, you know, like health um, maintenance health or health expense or something. And they'll just put it as a line item maybe so they can uh, get some federal reimbursement or whoever. But I, I also think the universities are going to um, constrict by 20 to 30%. Like I would be whole, I'd be surprised in Wisconsin if we had, if we didn't have three or four major universities close. like. Um, La Crosse, Stevens Point, Platteville, Oshkosh, River Falls, that are all like four-year universities um, that right. maybe have five to 7,000. I'd be, I just can't see that they're going to be able to sustain this. Who's going to pay taxes? It's How are they going to get their money? Like even, if the, even if the university closes, that doesn't mean the building gets demolished. Like you've probably seen it. Like I remember I worked at a Taco Bell. There was this giant space right across the street that used to be a Walgreens, and it had been vacant for like 10 years before they finally tore it down and built something else. And so oh, for a while, you're going to have, like, let's say Wazoo closes down. Unless you can find someone who can actually use that all that space, until you find that for however long that takes, you're just going to have this giant campus that doesn't have an owner, so is going to fall into disrepair. Yeah. So the same thing with the – you've probably seen it. It's like, you know, they have these big things like malls that, you know, the companies move out, but the building is still there, and it just stays like that. Right. It's like, well, how many companies need, like, you know, 20,000 square feet? Like, that's why. Like, I have this mall in Federal Way called the Commons. Once the Sears closed down, this was like two or three years ago, they still haven't found – any real use for it because it was just a big space and you know very few companies actually need that much and the ones that do have already built it like walmart yeah it, it's a it's a it's a great point i mean if you're an urban explorer i started to do more of that my god like everything's going to be <laughs> open to you because he's you're just gonna have a ton more a ton more places but yeah so how do you how do you mothball this how do you kind of keep a bare staff to keep these things up and in my god i mean once you go a couple of years on, as, on some of these buildings, some of these major university buildings without, you know, regular maintenance, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, I mean, the, the amount of money to try to restart those is going to be through the roof. So yeah, what, what, do you, what do you do, right? You have all of this space that's going to shut down. It's just not going to be practical anymore. Um, and, you know, you, it's not like, yeah, it's not like you can just, you know, mothball it and bring it back into... <laughs> in the right. service, but I, wow. So in, in closing here, Nick, this is, this has been incredible. I mean, this, we've, we've gone into to, to, to philosophy to, to some real practical um, things of how, how design goes. And I'm with you on, on virtual learning too, is I completely believe that this, this will be the primary mode of instruction, at least for the near future. But once I, once it grabs hold, we get greater bandwidth, people get more proficient, 
with different things, uh, Zoom, for example, whatever. I just don't see in-person coming back because, again, if you're if you're a K-12 district, if you're a university, everyone is, all these university presidents, superintendents, school boards, they're going to be like, what if we get another wave of the pandemic? Like, <clears throat> we've all experienced this now. Everybody, all of us, no one's been spared from the curfews, the shutdowns, the closings. We all know what it's like, and people are just not going to take that risk. And again, like my kids go to, um, you know, school, like for my daughter's elementary school. So I don't know, 400 kids in a building, you know, made for maybe 400. So you couldn't, you can't have a classroom where you have 25 kids in it. It would be too dense. It wouldn't make sense. Like from a, from a standpoint. So do you, do you come up with a schedule in fall saying we're going to have kids come one, one group of kids will come Monday and Wednesday. Another group will come Tuesday and Thursday and Friday will be a virtual day because we're going to lower the density of kids. But then what does that look like? Does that even make sense to, to do that? Because you still have the same concentration in areas like a lunchroom and bathroom. And so, I mean, some of these things, and people, the bus, oh my God, Nick, you're right. I mean, how do you pull that off, right? How do you look at a bus, which is just built for economy, right? Of what, 50, 40 to 50 kids and, and one, right, one kid is sick on the bus, everybody's wiped out. And then if that bus is used after school for any other activities or if there's any athletics, it still is, is happening. Um, and, and everybody will say, yeah, we have these modes to sanitize. But I mean, come on, we all know like that will only go so far in the moment somebody else sneezes or whatever, you're pretty much screwed. Until something else happens that makes us want to change stuff up again. It's like... Uh... You know, it's like after 9-11, we did all this airport security stuff. And right. we haven't had any serious airports attacks since then. But, you know, we've never, you know, moved on, if that makes sense. No, so. no, no. You're, you're right. I, I, you know, I noticed that, too, because, you know, we were packing to go to Orlando on March 16th. So, you know, I'm following all of the, the regulations and what you can have three milliliters of stuff and, and you know, whatever. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, this is so I think some takeaways as, as we wrap this up, some takeaways. One is, um, you know, you you exercise situational awareness, which I wrote about in School of Airs, but it's something everyone can take a take advantage of. If just watch what's happening around you, watch the news, call people, be in contact. And so, so you're very aware a few days ahead that something might be going on um, significantly that would impact you in your, in your campus. Um, the other part is thinking ahead of, of, you know, what you can do right now to prepare yourself if this goes on for a longer time, or even if things return and fall and suddenly we go into another, you know, lock, or stay at home, you know, closure, stuff like that. Invest in a great router, like invest in a router, um, yeah. a robust router that you're capable with your budget to do and those prices will be down. Try to buy it new if you can. The other thing is, you know, upgrade your technology now because a lot of people are dumping technology for, for money. I mean, really good stuff they're getting rid of just because they need the cash. So take advantage of that now. Um, and I, I think another part of this, you know, your locus of control, as you indicated, you live off campus. Um, be very cognizant of, of who's in charge of decisions that impact your life. And the fourth is just start thinking down the road, anticipate, um, you know, what might be opportunities. If you're online marketing, if you're selling stuff that you can sell online, 
um, whether that be, be, you know, goods, whether that be services, training, webinars, how to do things. If you can do that, now's a great time because ad prices are down. If you're a brick and mortar place, um, you know, like a hair salon or something like that, which has been closed by the state and you've had to shut down your ads. This is a time for people who have, you know, can, can do stuff remotely and do stuff online. Consider ads, as you indicated. You've had some some clients with return of investment, which has has really gone through the roof for them oh, yeah. um, right now. And, and ads are very affordable. So let's talk about again how people can access you, how they can get information about you know they want to learn more about ads. Maybe they've had a, some uh, some side business they've been doing, and that business you know can continue because it's you know it's through the mail or it's through virtual that they're doing. Um, how can they get a hold of you, learn more about, about marketing and maybe how they can, can really you know, expand how they're supporting themselves and their business right now? All right. So to learn about all of that, you, well, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, or you can go to nickshulander.com. That's where you can get in touch with me with any questions you have about marketing or maybe you want to hire me to do your marketing. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Okay, great. And... Just uh, closing here for on my side. So yeah, safetyphd.com. And if you're watching this, um, that'll be down uh, below. And then also like I'll have Nick's you know, website down below. So if you're listening to this, all of the shows, um, the Safety Doc Podcast, this is episode 127. Um, all of the, the shows come out in video, um, audio, and then there's a, a corresponding blog post. You can go to safetyphd.com and find all of those or on my YouTube channel, please subscribe. And I've experienced a substantial increase in subscribers uh, just in the last month. So maybe as people are, are home more, they're learning about the channel. But my book, School of Errors, Rethinking School Safety in America, this is hard copy. It also is in um, Kindle format. But the first chapter is how thinking about a bagel can get you through the worst day of your life. I have a chapter on transitioning into chaos. A lot of information that kind of pertains, not kind of, it pertains right now to when things have substantially changed in a short amount of time for people of how to, to negotiate that and navigate that. So you're making the right decisions. You're doing face validity, member checks, getting information that's valid, staying in control of your life, planning ahead during kind of chaotic times. So it's really good. I have a, chap, a few chapters and they're devoted to 9-11, worked with the city of New York uh, planning commission to develop those. Um, any words uh, you want to give a shout out to, to people or anything or another shout out to our good friend, Bacon. Maldito, um, bacon Maldito. Any any shout outs here? How people can find bacon again, or, or just like words of wisdom from Nick? Yeah, I'd say if you're just looking for another show to watch in addition to the Safety Doc podcast, go to thegoddamnbacon.com. You'll see the Laughter at Humanity show where we pretty much make fun of all the people who are just panicking and pretty much doing all the stuff you shouldn't do. At a time like this. So again, you go to thegoddamnbacon.com. I'm usually the co-host on the show, so you can see me there too. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.